Consider it a changing of the guard as the Green Bay Packers have released all-pro offensive lineman Josh Sitton just days in advance of the regular season opener. So how does the team replace him in the lineup? We'll ask Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. talking some Packers football this morning. We're getting ready for the season opener and we're still reacting to the release of Josh Sitton. To help us do that, we have a guest joining us on the phone today. Expert interview. We have Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com. Nathan, are you ready for the start of the football season? Good morning. I'm ready for some real NFL football. It was a good college weekend and now the NFL has to draw topping that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're going to have a tough time topping that, but uh, we're going to talk about it here today, this morning. Uh, Nathan, uh, we're still reacting to Josh Sitton. You know, I thought Josh Sitton's play perhaps slipped a little bit last season, particularly in pass protection, although I certainly don't think he played poorly at all. How accurate do you think that assessment is? I think that's fairly accurate. He has slipped just a little bit, but he's still one of the better guards in the NFL. Um, By PFF grades, he had his second-worst season in his past six years, but that was still good to be the sixth-best guard in the NFL last year by our player rating. Um, If you look just at his sacks and hits and hurries allowed, um, his pass protection did seem to slip a little bit last year, but a lot of that was due to the game where he was at left tackle against the Vikings. Um, He allowed six combined sacks and hits throughout the entire year, and three of those six all came against the Vikings in that game where he was left tackle. Uh, We have a metric called pass blocking efficiency, uh, which takes into account sacks, hits, hurries, and how often a player pass blocks. And Sitton has either led the league or tied the league lead at guard in that the past three years. And while his number in that metric has declined each of the past three years, it's still been at the top of the league. So while it has been a slight decline, he's still really good. Yeah, remarkable that the Packers trusted Josh Sitton so much that they made him their left tackle for one game last season but didn't trust him enough to have him on the roster this season, apparently. Nathan, it sounds like Lane Taylor will replace Sitton in the starting lineup at, at least to start with. How did he fare in the in the preseason? Because it sure seemed like he struggled in that last game, the, the preseason finale. Uh, yeah, he did have a little bit of a rough preseason. Uh, he was fine in the games against Oakland and San Francisco. Uh, Cleveland gave up a little bit of pressure. And then that Chiefs game, he wasn't consistently playing poorly. It was just a few really bad plays here and there. Um, having two penalties on, I think it was back-to-back play, certainly doesn't help. 
Um, he did fail to pick up a stunt, which led to a sack in the game, and then right at the end of the game had a poor run block in there. But it was just a couple really bad plays rather than consistent poor play out of him. Uh, he did have a few good run blocks, especially early in the first quarter, to help make up for it a little bit. And then that one sack was the only pressure he allowed in the game. So um, allowing just one pressure in a game where you're playing most of the game is still decent for pass protection. So um, looking at his games last year a little bit, too, he looked average at guard. So um, I certainly don't think he'll be as good as Sitton, but I don't think he will be all that poor in the majority of games this season. We'll have more on Josh Sidden and how the Packers replace him later in the show. But for now, lots of other things to get to here. Nathan, uh, what can you tell us about the player the Packers claimed on waivers from uh, from the Vikings, running back Jarrell Presley? I thought Presley had an interesting preseason. Uh, he averaged 2.8 yards after contact per carry, which is fairly good for a running back but averaged just 0.1 yards before contact, which a lot of that has more to do with the offensive line than it does the running back. So um, I thought he could have had a really impressive preseason had he had better run blocking in front of him. Um, As a receiver, he didn't do too much of that in college, but in the preseason he did catch four passes against the Rams, one of them being for a touchdown, which was their last preseason game. Um, In college as a runner, he was never the running back for New Mexico. I'm always part of a rotation and always looked good on limited playing time. And then going back to his NFL games, um, he only had one kicker punt return, but that was a 106-yard kick return for a touchdown. So the Packers could very well be more wanting to use him in the return game than as a rush back. Very, very interesting that they went and claimed him on waivers. So uh, we'll see how he progresses with the Green Bay Packers. We're talking to Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com here at Railbird Central. On a Wednesday morning, Nathan, I kind of want to go through some of the undrafted players the Packers kept on their 53-man roster. Uh, kind of some of the, the surprises, I guess, uh, may, or maybe people may not know much about these guys. Uh, they kept Joe Callahan. How did he do compared to other rookie quarterbacks in the NFL this preseason? I think if you look at his game against the 49ers, I don't think any rookie quarterback had as impressive of a game as Callahan had against the 49ers. It was mostly due to just a couple really great plays on crossing routes, one of them being that huge first down uh, he had on third and 20, another one where he had a touchdown, and another where... It was a really nice pass that just ended up being dropped. So um, outside of that game, Callahan looked pretty average in the other preseason games. But if you're being average as a rookie quarterback in the preseason, that's still a pretty good accomplishment. So I think only really Joe and uh, Prescott and Dallas had good preseasons out of rookie quarterbacks with maybe edging out Joe just a little bit. But uh, most of the rookie quarterbacks had uh, poor preseasons or Paxton Lynch was probably the biggest name who had an average preseason. Well, if you're a Packers fan, that's what you like to hear. Um, On the defensive side of the football, uh, do you think the Packers were justified in keeping Josh Hawkins, uh, the cornerback, based on his play this preseason? I think he looked pretty good this preseason. If you look just at his stat line, he had an excellent preseason, just along three catches allowed on 11 targets and two interceptions. But um, his performance was a little bit worse than the stats would imply. 
Uh, both of the interceptions were plays where the quarterback misread the coverage, uh, made very poor decisions. So while they were definitely good plays out of Hawkins, they were probably worse plays out of the quarterback. Um, only a couple of times where it was really Hawkins doing great coverage that allowed incomplete passes. And then on the downside, he also had a missed tackle, a defensive pass interference, and would have allowed another catch, but it was just dropped by the receiver. So that was more the receiver than Hawkins. But um, the Packers had a lot of good defensive backs this preseason. I wouldn't have been all that surprised if he would have been cut, but he did play fairly well. So I'm also not surprised that the Packers kept him. Hopefully it just keeps getting better from here. Um, also in the secondary, the Packers notably kept two undrafted rookies at safety, Kentrell Bryce and Marwin Evans. Now, Nathan, let, let's hypothetically say there's only room for one of the two on the game day roster. Who do you think deserves it? I would go with Bryce. Um, looking at his play on defense first, he looked more impressive there. Um, just allowing two catches in the preseason one of them being for eight yards and another being for a one-yard loss. Uh, he had another tackle for a loss in the run game. But probably more importantly is Bryce looked a lot better in special teams. He was probably, uh, in my opinion, their most impressive special teams player throughout the preseason, uh, making several good tackles both in the kick game and the punt game and didn't really have much negative to go along with that. So I thought Bryce looked really good on special teams, which if the Packers are deciding who they want on the game day roster. They probably care more about special teams than who could potentially be an injury replacement if there are several injuries at safety. But uh, compared to Evans, Evans was a lot less noticeable on special teams. On coverage, he did have the interception, but he also allowed more passes to be caught. Um, Also had a couple of missed tackles. So uh, just based on the preseason, I'm a little surprised that Evans made the roster but I think Bryce definitely could see his way on the game day roster and contribute on special teams right away. Good young players. Like I said, hopefully we just continue to hope they develop uh, and help the Packers down the road. Um, Nathan, let's, let's take a look at the opening day opponent for the Packers. Who do, who does Green Bay need to be aware of on the Jaguars offense this Sunday, week one? Uh, Jacksonville's offense has a ton of potential that to be very good this year. They have one of the best wide receiver pairings already in Allen Levinson and Allen Hearns, which should test the Packers' cornerbacks, but the Packers also have the depth at cornerback to be able to handle that kind of challenge. Um, Jacksonville also theoretically has one of the best one-two punches at running back, uh, TJ Yeldon, and then they added Chris Ivory from the Jets and free agency this past offseason. Both of them very good runners, so that should test the Packers' run defense. Um, if there's anywhere to attack, it's the offensive line, who also has a lot of potential, but it might take a while for them to get there. Uh, Calvin Beecham, who they added in free agency, as well as center Brandon Linder, both of them missed all of last year, so this is their first game back um, after missing a year of football. And then Luke Choco uh, moved to left guard. It was just recently that he moved there, so... Um, while all of that could eventually work out for Jacksonville, it'll be their first time together, some of them at new positions. So um, it's always said that you have to win at the line of scrimmage, but I think in this game it's even more true for the Packers than usual. Hmm. Uh, finally, uh, if we look at the flip side here, who do the Packers need to focus on on the Jags' defense? I think the most interesting thing to look at there is the battle between Lane Taylor and Malik Jackson. 
Jackson uh, came from Denver in free agency, plays defensive tackle, um, has the tendency to line up on the defensive's right side. So he should be against Taylor most of the time in this game. Uh, Jackson last year was a top 10 interior pass rusher in the league, also pretty good against the run. So this is probably one of the biggest tests Taylor will have to face all season, and it's coming in week one. Um, outside of that, uh, Jacksonville has a good trio of corners, including former Packers Devon House. Um, it's kind of similar to Green Bay in that none of them are excellent cornerbacks, but they have three very good ones, so uh, that'll make it difficult on the Packers' passing game. Uh, if Jacksonville has any weaknesses, it's uh, at safety and linebacker, so the middle of the field is probably where the Packers can get the most success attacking. So definitely an interesting test for the Packers to start the season. And also will be telling for Jacksonville to see how good they'll be this year with how much potential they have. Yeah, it would really be interesting to see Devon House cover Jordy Nelson if that happens to come to fruition on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, uh, before we let you go, I, I think the timing is perfect here for you to plug uh, profootballfocus.com. Uh, what what do people get with a subscription? Because I think maybe this is the best time just at the start of the season for maybe the people to do so. Uh, sure. We have, if you go to the website, you'll be able to see plenty of content for free um, just on players throughout the league, teams throughout the league, as well as college. Uh, we do have an NFL player grades product where you can see the grades that we have given everyone. Um, this year we're adding grades that they've gotten in the past year. So if you click on a player, you can see not just the grade for the current year, but all the previous years as well. Um, it has all of the rosters as well as depth charts and not just the depth chart for the generic offense and defense, but looking specifically at the Packers are in two tight end sets. Here's who's going to be on the field at there in their 11 personnel on defense. There's one for their base defense, one for their dime defense, since those two look very different. Um, this year as well, we've also added a lot of new fantasy products. Uh, we added a new draft day tool. So if you've waited for the very last minute to start your draft, we can definitely help you there, but we've also added uh, tools, one for daily fantasy. So um, if you need help setting your daily fantasy lineups, we have the tools to help you there, as well as a season-long league manager. So if you need help in your season-long leagues, we're able to help you there as well. Wow, a lot of great value there, Nathan. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll uh, recap the season opener next week, all right? Sounds good. Enjoy opening weekend. All right. Thank you. Nathan Yonke of Pro Football Focus joining us here at Railbird Central on a Wednesday morning. Glad to have him joining us. Glad to have you, the listener, join us as we continue on with the show. Packers news of the day. All right. So my two cents on the Josh Sitton situation, which has been a long time coming, seeing as we took Labor Day off. And uh, I think people have stewed a long time thinking about this move the Packers made. So four days after the Packers released Josh Sitton on the cut down to their final 53-man roster, issues remain unresolved. Uh, Mike McCarthy declined to get into why the Packers released Sitton, other than to say it just wasn't one thing that led to it. And general manager Ted Thompson, per usual, didn't speak out on the matter at all. And shame on the regime for doing that. <laughs> I know Thompson and McCarthy are doing what they think is in the best interest of the organization. 
but I think what they're doing is alienating the fan base. They need to remember that there are more than 360,000 owners of this team, shareholders, deserving, I think, of at least an explanation, uh, at minimum. Uh, So I repeat, shame on the figureheads of the organization for not doing that. What boggles my mind is the Packers respect Josh Sitton so much that they refuse to criticize him publicly or, you know, say anything of ill will toward him at all, you know, like in terms of why they might release him. But they don't respect him enough to honor his contract and keep him around. You know, we're forced instead to rely on an article by Pete Doherty of the Green Bay Press-Gazette to offer the best explanation available, uh, which says Sitton became, quote, haughty and uncommunicative, uh, unquote. And that's the best we've got right now as to why the Packers made this move. Now, So now to back up a second, uh, the NFL, understandably, is a difficult business on both sides for the team and the player. And I fully understand the Packers are in a difficult position with three other starting offensive linemen all entering the final year of their contracts this year. That's David Bakhtiari, TJ Lang, and J.C. Treader. Not to mention the other players on the roster whose contracts are coming up, like running back Eddie Lacy, like safety Micah Hyde. That, for the Packers, is an undesirable position to be in, but it's part of the business. They're not alone uh, in that regard with players entering contract seasons. Uh, they're not alone in terms of lots of money they'll have to hand out in the off season. Maybe they've got it a little worse than most, just, just kind of worked out that way and that all these contracts kind of came up at once. And, you know, when they signed them, they didn't know who really would emerge as as good players and great players and and it just seems like they have a lot of decisions to make and I understand that's that's a difficult position for the Packers to be in Um, I also understand Sitton being upset that the Packers may have been unwilling to talk about an extension with him or meet his demands or anything like that you know that's got to be tough for a guy who is named second team all pro in each of the last three seasons But here's where I have an issue. As long as this team considers itself a Super Bowl contender, and how could you not if you're the Green Bay Packers, and as long as Josh Sitton was willing to play out his current contract, as long as he's willing to go out and give his best every game, as long as he's abiding the law, uh, as long as he's not doing performance-enhancing drugs, you know, you live with a little bit of a malcontent as long as he makes the team better. And I have no reason to believe Josh Sitton was so much of a locker room cancer that this couldn't be overcome. Now, there are other reasons for releasing him that nobody is speaking about. You know, then again, shame on the organization for not bringing it to light. I can only go on with what I know here. Um, You know, as I see things, Sitton was the best option available to the Packers at guard. 
I read Pete Doherty's anecdotes about Vince Lombardi releasing players, reminding the players that anybody is expendable. But I think in many of the cases, the positives of releasing a player outweighed the negatives, or at least they canceled out. But in this particular situation, I can't see how Josh Sitton's release does anything but make the Packers' offensive line worse. This isn't replacing Darren College a few seasons ago when there were better options waiting in the wings, namely T.J. Lang. And College wasn't chopped liver either. He wasn't great, but he wasn't poor. He was an average NFL offensive lineman. Josh Sitton, in my eyes, is above average. You know, I I repeat, if this team considers itself a Super Bowl contender, I live with any financial ramifications Sitton's $6 million salary might bring, and I let him walk in free agency next year because he makes the team better this year. I don't see this a case of, of better parting ways a year too early rather than a year too late. I realize Sin was in the last year of his contract, but from a talent standpoint, I think it's parting ways with him two years too early because I think he has at least one, at least one solid season left in him, at least. And then you also get into the fact, like, had they just let him play out his contract and had let him walk last year, the possibility of getting a compensatory draft pick in return for him leaving, the Packers just gave that right up as well. You know, all these instances, you know, add them all up, and I don't see how this makes the team better, especially when you look at the options available to the Packers to replace him. Um, So here we stand, and all Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy can do is the one thing that will make people overlook this move, and that's win a Super Bowl. In the past, I've disagreed with the approach they take. Uh, you know, not always, but they, they were, for, for, for the most part, minor squabbles, like releasing Jamal Roll in favor of Dimitri Goodson two years ago. You know, n- nothing so egregious that I can't support the current regime leading the Packers. But it's getting tougher and tougher to support them. From Ted Thompson's seeming oversight of the inside linebacker position for years uh, to Mike McCarthy's statement that all his players adhere to NFL policies when clearly they haven't, this release of Josh Sin is the latest I disagree with. And the instances of things I disagree with are starting to mount and and like I said, it's getting to the point that the only thing that absolves them is winning the Super Bowl. They get that opportunity to see if the other options at guard make this team better. But I have my doubts that they will. So, you know, for now, the Packers go with Lane Taylor, uh, a guy who's gotten a cup of tea in the NFL the previous two seasons. You know, the Packers kept him around as an undrafted rookie. He played in a few games last year when he had to enter the lineup as an injury replacement for guys that were hurt along the way. You know, uh, David Bakhtiari got hurt last year. 
Corey Lindsley got hurt that forced a little shuffling around the offensive line, at least temporarily. Um, and, you know, Lane Taylor, I think he'll be okay, uh, but I don't see him on par with the level with Josh Sitton. I, I just don't. Um, uh, the, the, you know, the other option the Packers have is for Lindsley to join the starting lineup whenever he returns from the pup list. Um, and, and you know what? I, I mean, people can offer whatever combination they want of, of J.C. Treader and Corey Lindsley uh, at left guard and, and center. It, it doesn't matter to me. It's the same solution. You know, I, I fully trust the coaching staff in terms of figuring out who's the better center and who's the better left guard and whatever combination they come up with, fine. I, I have no problem with whatever they decide there. You know, I, I tend to think that J, that it's going to end up being better that J.C. Treader's the center and Corey Lindsley's the guard. That's just a prediction, but you know, it's it's not a strong conviction on my point. You know, and this is down the road anyway. I mean, we're talking about Corey Lindsley on the pup list for minimum of six weeks, I think it is. And I believe that's just when they can return to practice, if I got this all right. You know, so, I, I mean, we're we're talking about weeks down the road. The Packers got to live with Lane Taylor from the, for the time being. And if not him, basically they have Don Barclay as the backup, who I've expressed on this show before. Uh, I haven't really been impressed with him uh, this preseason, other than I think he's gotten better since the beginning of the preseason. Maybe that's a product of the further removed from injury he is, the better off he is, uh, and I can hope that's the case. Uh, but I have my doubts whether he's the solution at guard uh, in place of you know a departed Josh Sitton. The, the Packers could also consider kicking in Brian Balaga to guard and replacing him with Jason Spriggs at right tackle or even perhaps Kyle Murphy. But I'm not sure that's happening anytime soon. I'm not, I don't think they're, they're wanting to go with a rookie in the starting lineup, especially one who, you know, I, they might need more development. Uh, both from a technical and a strength standpoint for both players. Uh, even Kyle Murphy potentially being a guard or play. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, further down the line options the Packers could go to replace them. But, I mean, these are just some of the top ones. And it looks like it's Lane Taylor for the time being with, with Corey Lindsley being an option once he gets healthy. So, that's what the Packers are stuck with now. It is what it is. They've made the move. There's no going back. Uh, I wasn't a fan of it, um, but, it, you know, it is what it is. If, if Josh's back issues are more than we know, that's one thing, uh, but nobody's come out and said that. So, like I said, I, I can only go on what I know. I can't go on what I don't know. Um, but other Packers news here. On from the Josh Sitton situation. The Packers claimed running back Jarrell Presley on waivers after he was released by the Minnesota Vikings and released Brandon Burks to make room. Uh, this is a roster move I can get behind. Uh, I thought Burks had a nice preseason, but not so great that he was untouchable or anything like that. 
And I remember focusing on Presley last season in the New Mexico Bowl when he was his team's best pro prospect. So, I, I mean, you know, you knew that coming into the game. You look at New Mexico's roster and like, this guy stands the best chance of playing in the pros. And I remember thinking he was a nice player. Uh, and he basically showed that in the preseason with the Vikings, scoring two touchdowns for them in one game, one on offense and one on special teams. He would appear, as as Nathan Yankee said, he would appear to offer value as a kickoff returner, uh, although I'm not sure he's going to get first crack at that at Green Bay. Uh, in fact, I can't even imagine uh, it, Presley is going to be active for the first couple regular season games as he learns the team's offense, but, you know, we'll continue to monitor his progress. Um, the other big new move the Packers made, uh, you know, this in the past few days here since since setting the 53-man roster, they bring back long snapper Brett Goode. Uh, they did that by releasing Rick Lovato on the, you know, 53-man cutdown. I think people kind of scratched their head originally like, oh, no long snapper at all. What are they doing here? Uh, but I think as you just looked into things that you kind of saw this this move was inevitable here as a guy that, you know, is now several months removed uh, from uh, the the injury he suffered last season. And you do have to wonder a little bit whether that's enough time for Brett Goode to be ready after tearing his ACL last season. But at least, you know, he wasn't a guy that they needed to see in the preseason or in training camp or even the offseason. They didn't need to see what he offered. They know what Brett Good when he's healthy, what he does offer. You know, for, for eight years, they've seen it. So they know what they're getting as long as Brett Good is ready, you know, that, that injured, torn ACL is ready to be played upon. And I, I suppose, you know, being a long snapper, you're, you're perhaps better, you know, less likely to get injured, I suppose, than almost any other position, seeing as players cannot line up over the top of you, over the long snapper in the NFL. Um, and the about the only thing he's got to do is cover punts. You know, he's got to offer a little bit of blocking, but like I said, nobody's lining up over the top of him, so not a whole lot to deal with there. Uh, the Packers placed rookie cornerback McIntyre Dorleant on injured reserve in order to sign Goode. Um, that that move came as a little bit of a. I guess I'm just surprised that they they kept him on the 53 man roster to begin with. Although I suppose that that makes little moot. You know, it's kind of a moot point when they placed him on injured reserve. I, I liked what Dorleant provided. Uh, to the team, uh, and I think he might have a future with them. So hopefully he gets healthy and is able to down the road offer something. I guess we're looking as early as next season, um, or as late as next season, because I I doubt he's the guy that they designate to come back. Uh, I suppose you never know. Uh, but yeah, for now, Dorleant on injured reserve. Uh, the Packers also came to injury settlements with a couple players including tight ends Kennard Backman and Mitchell Henry uh, and offensive lineman Josh Walker and Jacob Flores. Uh, so the Packers parting ways with those players. Um, you know, it could be a situation where maybe they bring them back and, 
You know, I think the rule is you have to wait six. If you come to an injury settlement with a player, you have to wait at least six weeks before re-signing them. And we've seen them do that before. They did it with linebacker Joe Thomas. So, you know, bringing back a guy like Josh Walker is not out of the question. I, I point to him because of all the the, the the unsettled situation the Packers have at guard, or at least seemingly unsettled to me at least. Um, so he he's a name I would keep an eye on at the very least. Uh, the Packers also set their practice squad by bringing back, you know, most of the usual suspects. Uh, I think that you thought they would, you know, after they, you know, cut down their roster after they got placed guys on injured reserve and things like that. Uh, they bring in one new face, offensive lineman Blake Muir, uh, who was with the, the 49ers in training camp. He was actually a guy the Packers brought in for a pre-draft visit, so you may have heard his name before. Uh, the Packers also brought back running back Don Jackson, who they really originally released at the outset of training camp. Uh, so interesting to see that they went with Jackson ahead of a guy like Brandon Burks. Um, kind of shows you a little bit of what they think of him there. Uh, so hard to say how these moves are all going to play out, uh, whether they were the right choice or not on the practice squad for the Green Bay Packers. But, you know, when we're talking the practice squad, I, I think we're splitting hairs to an extent here. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of the guys are, are great that they're bringing back like Reggie Gilbert. Uh, love to see the Packers bringing him back. Defensive lineman Brian Price, wide receiver Geronimo Allison. Glad these guys are still with the Packers in some way, shape, or form, and that they continue to develop them, and maybe they'll be uh, part of the Packers team down the road uh, if they stick with it. Um, But that brings us to the next segment. The day ahead. Wednesday, today, will be the day the Packers release their first injury report of the season which will be highly anticipated and especially interesting will be the status of wide receiver Jordy Nelson who's now missed more than a year with an injury he came back to practice during training camp did not play in any preseason games Uh, Mike McCarthy said earlier this week he's quote-unquote full go So we'll wait to see if Jordy Nelson is listed as a full participant in practice or not. Um, Other interesting players to monitor will be first-round draft choice Kenny Clark, who missed the last two preseason games with a back injury. Uh, Safety Morgan Burnett, who missed every preseason game. Um, To a lesser extent, uh, interesting to watch the status of guys like linebacker Jay Roan Elliott and and safety Chris Banjo, who got injured during the preseason, but there hasn't been any indication that they suffered serious injuries. And, you know, just judging by them keeping them on the 53-man roster, uh, you would tend to think that they'll, you know, have their value to the Packers and they'll be ready in in, in due time, in, in, in a short amount of time. Whether that's week one or not, we'll see. Well, we start to find out today. When they t- you know when they say are they are they limited are they full uh, we find that out on Wednesday so uh, excited to find that out Packers probably releasing that sometime this afternoon after practice head coach Mike McCarthy speaks at 10:30 a.m. Central Time 
prior to the start of practice, so you're probably not going to get a whole lot of injury updates from him in terms of you know, the guys who are on the injury report. Probably have to ask him those things on Thursday. Uh, but anyway, McCarthy's, uh, you know, his press conference streamed online, Packers.com, 10.30 a.m. Central Time, with coaches to follow at 4.50 p.m. Central Time after practice. Again, streaming online. Uh, the coordinators, some of the offensive assistants meeting the media, so you'll be able to see that. And hey, it's talk show season in Green Bay. And uh, I know today, Wednesday, the day Railbird Central airs, uh, in the evening, Jared Cook, uh, new Packers tight end. He'll be the guest on the premiere of uh, Green Bay Nation on WFRB-TV in Green Bay. That's the CBS affiliate. It's also the season premiere of the Dayton Jones and Quentin Rollins show on WDUZ in Green Bay. That's on the radio dial. Um, that's Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m., so uh, getting ready for talk show season here, uh, starting tonight. I mean, it's been been starting, but uh, some season premieres we're we're seeing today, and we'll see over the course of the rest of the season as well. So that tells you it's time for football. So uh, you, you know, in fact, just before I go here, maybe the last thing I'll mention for the day: what what an atmosphere it was this past weekend. I was at the Lambeau Field College Classic, so the home of the Green Bay Packers, for that game between the Wisconsin Badgers and the LSU Tigers. I'll tell you, it was a bowl game type of atmosphere. It was one of the most exciting college games I've ever been to. Um, it, It really and truly was. I thought it was a great experience. I thought it was a once in a great while thing. I, that's not something I want to see the Badgers doing every year. We we talked about in the last show, I think, how it's great for to do home-and-home home series, like on-campus venues. I would love if the Packers added a a home-and-home home series with LSU to, on top of this. So they go play at, uh, you know, in Death Valley once, and then, you know, LSU's got to come up to Camp Randall once. I think that would be great. But I you know, a few years down the road, I'd love to see another one. People have suggested the the Badgers. It's kind of rumored right now that they'll play Notre Dame at Lambeau Field. I, that, that would be great as well. That would be fantastic a few years down the road. I, I will say, we'll save that a few, because I, I don't, I want, you know, if, I think if you're a fan of the Badgers, you want them playing Camp Randall more often than not. But as a great once-in-a-while type of thing, that's fine. Hey, if, if they bring a bowl game to Lambeau Field, that's great. Or the Big Ten Conference Championship game. Whatever they can think of, those are all great things. Um, and would love to see more of it um, once in a while. So I, I think it's a it's a great, great thing. I think it brought a lot of money to the Green Bay region. And that's only helping the Packers organization as well, the the more tickets sold and parking passes and and merchandise and concessions and all those things, it's all helping the Packers organization. So uh, I'm in support of that. And with that, that does it for today's episode of Railbird Central. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you to Nathan Yonke of ProFootballFocus.com for being our guest. We'll be back again on Friday. New episodes typically when it's not a holiday, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. That's a live edition of the show, podcasted and on demand later in the day. In fact, this upcoming Friday, 
We'll have Scott McKenna rejoining us uh, this week to preview the Packers' season opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars week one in Florida. Uh, So getting getting excited for the start of the regular season here. So we'll we'll preview that game a lot more in depth on Friday uh, if you didn't get a whole lot of feeling for the game uh, on today's show, talking more about the roster and Josh sitting on today's show than anything else. Uh, But uh, that'll do it, folks. My call to action, as always, as usual, if you've not done so already, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It's the one small thing we ask. The show is free of charge, no subscription, no paywall. So if you could do us a solid, go to iTunes, search Cheesehead TV. It'll pop right up. Give us that five-star rating and a brief little review. doesn't have to be anything long, but we appreciate it because it helps get word out about the show. Um, and we think it's a service to Green Bay Packers fans. So thanks a lot. Uh, we'll see you, folks. I leave you today with a song called Different Light from Steve Winwood on Psy Fidelity Records. See everyone. Go Pack Go. Go.